Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for $2.49 a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Hey guys, hope everyone's good. Had an amazing week so far. You know, last week saw former England Arsenal midfielder Jack Wilshere become the latest name on the growing list of incredible guests right here on the Coaches Network podcast. But you know, it's, it's been it's been a great week since then. Um, you know, we've had the Euros dawn upon us. Some great games, some great um, great players on show. I think some teams surprisingly have been, have been at the forefront of that as well. Um, you know, and I think a lot of people don't ask the questions. You know, at the start of the Euros, around what makes a great culture at international level. You know, the major difference between those on the international stage and those that manage in a club level. Um, before we get to today's episode, guys, you know, I want to take a moment just to kind of read out one of our latest reviews. And this one is from um, Prav Singh, Regional Coach Development Officer at EFA. Um, here it goes. It's a real credit to you, yes, and the guest speakers you have on this platform. The insights are great. And this is certainly helping us all become the best versions of ourselves for the good of the game. Well done. Keep up the great work, Perv. Well, Perv, first of all, thank you for that. Really appreciate it. Absolutely love the feedback. Uh, thank you again, Perv. But I also want to say thank you again for every single one of you that's been tuning in. It's truly been an honour to know that you're getting value from the from the conversation I've been having. Um, like I said, there's a growing list of incredible guests. Um, so keep listening. Keep liking, keep sharing with everyone you know, with your mum, your brother, your sister, um, and your best friends. Most of all, keep keep leaving reviews, guys. You know, I mean, good or bad, I'm all about learning, all about development. At the end of the day, it's about becoming better. So I'm here for all the feedback. Um, and those reviews, you know, they will help in getting this podcast up the charts and keeping us um, in a competitive, competitive stage of the development of the podcast as well. But moving on, guys, um, just want to take a moment, um, as many of you may or may not know, and don't worry if you don't, because you will now, and that in the last few months, you know, you've seen the launch of coach education workshops and mentoring programs that I've been running um, as part of the Coaches Network. I've also received some outstanding reviews for the people that have been involved in these two. You can find out more about what they've got to say if you head over to our social media accounts. Um, and anyone interested to find out more about these, head over to www.thecoachesnetwork.co.uk. Lastly, guys, as I said it before, you know, my team and I are committed to delivering some outstanding content to you guys and we need your support. So if you're not already, please make your way over to Twitter and Instagram. So on Twitter, that's at the Coaches Net and on Instagram at the Coaches Network. Make sure you're following us on the socials. Make sure, you, make sure you're interacting with us as well as subscribing to us on whichever platform you listen to the podcast on. Um, tag us, share it with everyone, like I said. Leave us a review. 
drop us a DM, let us know, let us know what the, what the podcast has done for you. If there's anything key takeaways for you, regardless of which episode it is, let me know your favorite episode, guys. But last thing, if you listen to Apple Podcasts in particular, please make sure you leave that review. But enough of all that. Here we are, episode 112, and another phenomenal discussion. My guest today is Doug Limmer. Doug is a teacher, a teaching mentor, and a best-selling author. And in today's discussion, Doug will be joining me to discuss how coaches learn, what we can learn from teachers, and be more effective both on and off the field. There's some real gems in this one, guys. And if you've got even half of what I did from this conversation, you'll certainly see a transformation in your delivery. Hey guys, you're now listening to the Coaches Network Podcast, a podcast aimed at anyone who's passionate about athlete, talent, and personal development. My name's Coach Yas, and I'm a UEFA A licensed football coach, coach developer, and content creator. I'll be sitting down with a range of guests to discuss their journeys, their life lessons, and how you can make an impact. Enjoy. Right, guys, welcome back to the Coaches Network. My name's Coach Yas, and I've got a very special guest with me this evening. Overseas, uh, teacher, mentor, best-selling author, Doug Lemov. How are you, Doug? I'm doing great, and thanks for having me on. It's good to, good to be with you. Excellent. Doug, um, you know, obviously, before we get into the, you know, the real, the nitty-gritty of the conversation, um, would you mind maybe just sharing a bit of insight for those that maybe aren't familiar with your work and who you are um, around, you know, what that looks like? Yeah, uh, so I started out as a teacher and a school head and, um, and then around a network of... Uh, founded a network of schools that serves kids in deprived areas and tries to prepare them for university. And in the course of doing that, you know, just a lot of questions about how to um, help students succeed as well as possible. And, you know, great teachers (laughs) would struggle with that. And so I just kind of set out to solve that, help them solve that, that challenge. So um, I found, you know, I sort of ran a big data set on, teachers who worked in underserved communities with a lot of poverty who still got incredible results. And, uh, and I went to visit those classrooms and they were amazing. And I took notes on the things that the teachers did there. And, and I still didn't think people would believe me. So I went out and videotaped a lot of them and kind of, I grew up playing sport and, uh, and, and, and love it, you know, game film is part of how you, how you think if you're an athlete, you know, in the sports sector. So I took the, video of the teachers and cut it up into little game film clips and ended up writing a book about it, which became Teach Like a Champion. And now it's about to be in its third third edition, which comes out this summer. Um, and then, you know, my, my, from there, my life went from running schools to sort of training training teachers and trying to just study teaching as much as I love. I love the craft of teaching, whether it's in the classroom or, or on the pitch. And uh, just have the pleasure now of, of studying that that craft full time, watching <laughs> watching video and watching live teaching, and trying to learn from it as much as I can. Awesome, you know. Let's let's let's, let's start with that. Then you know you, you've um, obviously started as a teacher yourself. Um, you're now exploring that you know those uh, challenging environments, if you like. Um, what would be the, the first most notable notable things for you um, that kind of really stood out in those environments, as opposed to the ones you were uh, maybe previously set you know experience with um and obviously based in you know, and it'll be maybe good for us to maybe have a bit of a context as to what your uh original environment maybe looked like um and what maybe some of the biggest differences were not just in, in terms of the teaching but actually the environment specifically yeah i mean 
it's hard to point out just one thing, you know, because I think one thing, one thing I think, I think it's important to talk about when you talk about great teachers and great coaches is that people are different, you know, and there isn't, there isn't, there isn't a model and there isn't a formula. Um, and that being a great teacher is a lot like being a great athlete in that, um, you know, different, different athletes are great through different things. And part of, part of what makes you great is limiting your weaknesses and being able to play, you know, um, play three different formations and respond to a bunch of, you know, different situations you might face on the field. But part of it also is also having things that are just, you're exceptional at and, and that, you know, um, are unique and special about yourself as a player, you know? And so, um, you know, you, you can think of, you can think of athletes who that might apply to. So, but I would say that, you know, one of the things you, I would probably observe about schools that serve challenging communities is, you know, kids, kids are used to going to schools that, um, are not attentive to them and, and don't serve their needs well often. And um, the first step is always a, is, to, is to recognize that schools and classrooms are first and foremost a culture and they communicate to people what their role is there and what their relationship to the endeavor of learning is, whether they realize it or not. And so um, I think to really, to really change students' educational outcome, the first thing is to shape the culture and to make it productive, you know, to me, it's a gesture of respect to students to make a culture orderly and productive and to say your time, your time is worth it. I'm not going to waste your time and we're always going to be on task and you're worth it enough that I'm not going to, I'm not going to allow you to disrupt class and cut up and, you know, and in class. And so I think you know, some people, not everyone sees that as a, as a message of respect. I do. So, um, so I think that it starts there, but then I've also, you know, there are a lot of classrooms where like things are orderly, but um, the rigor isn't there and, and the sort of belief in the potential excellence of every student isn't there. And so I, I think like um, great classrooms also find a way to just constantly challenging students and I'm sure for coaches you know that's a, that's a familiar sounding thing but maybe one of the things that enables both of those things to happen is what I would describe as, as routines procedures and routines right like in a great classroom students should know anything you do frequently in a classroom or on the on the on the pitch you know the more it's clear how we do it and we do it the same way every time and students can one student can participate it with fewer you know if you you start every training session with with rondos, and so students, the players know when they arrive. They should set up their rondos and get going. Do it. You don't have to explain to them what they should do when they start, right? And so it doesn't take five minutes of explanation. So they're you know they're going every day with rondos as as their warm up. Then not only do sort of things start productively automatically, but when there are clear routines and procedures for how to do things, it it, it hacks attention, right? You your working memory doesn't have to be is uh, can be more focused on learning and you don't have to be thinking about what should I be doing right now? You just get to focus on, uh, on doing the task. And so I think it's beneficial both culturally and educationally. I definitely make a great point there. I think you know, just touching this, uh, I want to dissect that piece around the rondos a little bit. Um, how important is it not just to have the routine in terms of the activity or the exercises that we're going to be doing, but also um, maybe share a bit of insight around how important it is um, if at all, uh, the expectation in terms of the output within that exercise or activity because you know they could be going through the motions if you like and yeah so, um, it's a good question because you know like culture a team like the classroom is first and foremost a culture and it communicates to people what does it mean to play for this team how hard do we play right and so 
you can, you know, I make this point in, in the book, you can have times when you stop and you say, you can say boys or girls, you know, when we, we have to always give our best when we're on the field and you can, you can have a halftime talk where you say, we've got to play with intensity and drive and competitiveness. But the success of that conversation, <laughs> you don't shape culture in a conversation like that. You shape culture in a thousand unseen moments when you're building habits of like, you can't tell people to compete hard. It has to be a habit for them to compete hard. And so the intensity with which um, the rondos are done is how you communicate what it means to be an athlete on this team. I'm just thinking here about uh, one of my favorite coaches I talk about in the book is a guy named Matt Lowry, who coaches at one of our um, academy for one of our professional teams here in the U.S. I, just, I watched him coach a bunch of times and he has he, there's a side of him that he's, he's really brilliant at building relationships with kids and bantering with them and, you know, like saying little funny things on the side. And I think every kid knows that he understands them as a person. But when there's a two-part routine, which is when they show up before practice starts, they know they're supposed to get together and start doing rondos. And then he walks out on the field and you can just feel the intensity shift. Like the rondos are kind of playful and light and guys are trying stuff. And he walks out on the field and he's so economical with his language. And he says, like, Rondos, two minutes, keep the ball, high intensity, go. And it's like, he, uh, the, sh the, the mood shifts, right? And all of a sudden um, the players are playing with intensity and the kind of like back heel shenanigans that you might see when guys are just kind of playing informally, that stuff disappears and they're really focused on, you know, what does my first touch look like? What, you know, um, eyes up, focused on, on, you know, on just fundamentals and then, he pauses them again. He'll give them a different direction. Like, you know, I talk about a bunch of like permutations he does on the Rondo. So like this time if the defenders win the ball, they have to try and keep it for two touches or three touches. Right. And so, um, but his, his clarity about the, about the task and just the intensity he brings to it, um, makes it, it makes it clear right from the outset, not just what the task and what's what the activity is, but what it means to, to compete and to, uh, and the level of expectation that he has for his boys. And, and I don't mean to imply that there isn't also joy and fun and playfulness, but he is very deliberately communicating and reminding them every time practice starts, this is what it means to play for this team. There's a high level of expectation and you, your habit should be giving your best every time you walk on the field. Just on that then, you know, how important is it or how much, uh, how relevant is it that the wording um, as opposed to maybe the tonality and the sharpness of the message, if you like. Yeah. I think the wording, uh, I, words are the currency that coaches have to communicate with athletes. And I think what, if there was a, I don't think I say this in the book, but I think one of the themes of the, of the, of the book, Coach's Guide to Teaching, is just understanding how precious words are and how you have to protect them. And so, and show their value. And, um, and so if you use words cheaply, if you pause players during an exercise and you, you make a comment and it's too wordy and then you're not sure whether you're clear, so you say it again and then you say it a third time and then, you, then the players start playing again, what you're saying is, I'm not very attentive to my words, so you don't have to be very attentive to my words. I haven't thought very clearly about what I want to say, so maybe you don't have to think very clearly about what I, if you don't listen to what I say the first time, I'll say it again, so you don't have to listen very carefully. And so I just think there are so many situations in coaching where we're unintentionally communicating to players 
you don't have to listen very carefully to me. My, um, and I think that's the opposite of what a, what a coach wants to communicate. And, and I, there are so many settings in which players, I think, actually practice and get better at ignoring a coach because of the way the coach um, implicitly communicates what he or she thinks about their own words. Mm. No, I think you make a great point there. Yeah, I feel like the, yeah, I'm having a bit of deja vu here and it's almost mm. groundhog day for me. These last four years, I've had a conversation with many different coaches and um, the consistent thing that keeps coming up for me is when a message is delivered, mm. responsibility is it to have it, yeah. make sure it's understood. Is yeah. mine, mine is the person, uh, I guess, giving the message or yours, the one receiving it. And, you know, it then, it then brings me back to another experience, you know, uh, where previously maybe I was working with goalkeepers as an example. Um, and those goalkeepers, you know, one of the things that we kind of work on is obviously when the ball's coming into the box or, or, or that penalty area, um, making it clear on who's, who's, who's going to take that. So if the goalkeeper's coming out to get it, yep, keepers. But, you know, I, I find with, uh, from my experience, that they have a tendency to want to repeat, keepers, keepers, I'm coming to get it sort of thing. Yeah. Um, and, and my message is quite clear to them. You know, if you're finding yourself having to say it more than once, it's not clear enough. Yeah, say it once. Say it once, and 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 if you like, uh, for lack of a better way of describing it, say it once but mean it. Yes. And I think that 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 that's something that really rings true for me, and it's it's almost for for many different reasons. If you're having to say it more than once, it could be that you're too quiet potentially, yeah. but it could just be the message isn't clear. So you need to, you know, have a, have a think about the people around you, how they maybe perceive the words that you're using, and identify right where 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 might that breakdown be. I think that's I think that's really insightful. Very true about play about you know like about how you talk on the field, and I think your advice to goal to goalkeepers is spot on. But I think it's also true, you know, it's also true for coaches. Right, if you have to say it more than once, you haven't you probably haven't been clear enough. And you're also, you know, subtly undercutting your words. Like, can, can I, I'll, give, I'll give you an example of, of how I think coaches undercut their own words. Um, there are a bunch of them. But one of them is, you know, if you think about the feedback that we give athletes during training session, typically there are two types. One is feedback you would give at a stoppage. And then the second part is like live feedback that you would say to players while they're playing. And so one question about live stoppage, live feedback is like, how carefully can I listen to you? And in, in it's a match, right? And you're telling me to do things from the sideline while I'm playing, from the touchline while I'm playing. How carefully can I listen to you and also play at the same time? Are you forcing me to choose between listening to you and playing? Because if you force me to choose, you know, I will choose. I will choose to play, and therefore, you know, I might be practicing ignoring you. But um, so, if, if there are these two types of feedback, there's live feedback and there's stoppage feedback. Let's say I'm I'm working on uh, we're working on building out of the back in our session. And we play for a couple of minutes and I pause and I say, pause boys, when we're building out of the back, I want us to focus on speed of passes. It's, it's critically important when we're building out of the back that the ball has to be struck at pace. So we're causing the opposition to move rapidly side to side and we're creating, we're creating openings for, for passing lanes. Pick up playing again. I want to see every, you know, I want to see every pass struck at pace. Go boys start playing. Great touch, Marco. Good entry pass. Way to have this. Oh, I love that move, Steven. Right. So now all of my feedback while players are playing is about things that are not connected to 
pace of your passes when we're building out of the back, right? So suddenly I'm talking about everything but the thing. I just stopped training to say, it's very, very important that we talk about the pace of your passes. And the next of the next 10 comments that I make, none of them are about that. And so what it says to players is, what I just told you 30 seconds ago, I have already forgotten. Um, and it's not important enough to me to then say to you, yes, that's the pace of passes that we want. Yes, 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 Jason, strike it like that. Not hard enough, Kevin, hit it harder, right? Like when I do that, when I align my live feedback to my stoppage feedback, now I'm saying, I'm, I'm communicating to players that what I told you before is important enough to me that I'm still focused on it. And therefore you should listen to it as opposed to, you know, I think, if the message after the stoppage is I've forgotten the stoppage 10 seconds later, why would you even listen to me during the stoppage? It's just, it, it's going to be in one ear and not the other. And so I think that's just a classic way that coaches either show or fail to show uh, athletes that, they're, that seen, their words matter and that they should listen to them. It, you know, you, you know, one of my roles, I work in a, in a coach education space. I support coaches in um, mainly within the grassroots community. And one of the key messages I always give, I, I feel like, you know, if someone asked me, Wimby, what was my area of expertise within the coaching space, it'd probably be my, uh, my practice design uh, and designing appropriate practices are very specific uh, and have um, as much clarity as possible in terms of what, I guess, what we're going to laser focus on, if you like. And yeah. in that process, I really try and challenge coaches to think about, right, what are you working on in this session or in this practice or in this drill? Because if you don't have a clear understanding or clear outcome of what that is, you'll find yourself coaching everything and anything you see. And you become reactive, right? Yeah. And then, and the interesting thing is, and then, and then you end up having to make the same coaching points over and over again. again and I think what, yeah, sorry, go ahead. No, I was just going to say, I think within that, then you'll make so many different coaching points that actually none yeah. of them end up linking up. So it's almost that that breadth versus depth uh, kind of debate, if you like. I think this is one of the most ironic things about coaching. So I, I think, you know, um, focused coach, focused player, <laughs> distracted coach, distracted player. One of the smartest things a coach ever said to me was a, a coach I worked with in New Zealand, who's a rugby coach down there, said, if you chase five rabbits, you catch none. And what he meant by that is like, so it's a, let's go back to building out of the back, right? It's a stoppage and I stop my players. And instead of telling them one thing, I want you to focus on the pace of your pass. Let's say I just, I just mentioned a bunch of things that I just noticed while you were playing. So, uh, and, and I want to try and make you better by telling you all the things that I noticed. So I say, pause. Okay, guys, when we're building out of the back, the ball has to be struck at pace and it's got to be on the ground. It can't be bouncing like your last pass, Kevin. And your eyes have to be up, David. You're a little bit panicky when you receive the ball. So you have to eyes up when you receive the ball, receive across your body. And then outside backs, you've got to press up higher. Ready? So let me see all those things. Go. Right? What happens when practice, when, when training begins again after feedback like that? Nobody can, can concentrate on five things at once. Nobody's really sure which of those things apply to them. And so either they ignore everything you said, or they choose one of those things at random and try to focus on it. And, but you're not sure who's focusing on what uh, and which thing they're trying to improve on. And so basically at the next stoppage, you're going to have to make the same five points all over again, and you're not going to have any sense of the team's progress. And that's in part because you, to your point, you weren't really clear about what Building out of the back is an insufficient, is an insufficiently specific session topic, right? What do I want to, what do I want to accomplish? What do I want to see different in the way that we build out of the back? 
and maybe all I can hope to get done in half an hour is pace of passes, but maybe there are three or four things, but I've got them sort of like clearly listed myself in, in order so that I can shape my feedback and my teaching points around them and observe for accomplishment of each part and then layer on a different, you know, a different piece as we go. So I, I think you're, I think you're spot on that like just clarity of what I want to, that an activity is not a sufficient, is not a sufficient description of what I want to accomplish from training time. I have to know what I want to accomplish with the activity in terms of outcome of play. Yeah. And a hundred percent, you know, for me, I always, I say, right, okay, as an example, let's take your, uh, your example, playing out from the back as an example. So playing out from the back, I'm now saying to coaches, right, let's think deeper than that. That's your overarching heading. Um, let's break it down further. So it's playing out from the back, uh, in a maybe a, a, a 4 2 a 4 4 2 right okay so let's work with that we've got a 4 4 2 we know how we're setting up so that should already dictate some way what the practice or the drill or the exercise is going to look like for us um okay but let's 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 take it one further right we're in a 4 4 2 what's the opposition doing okay well it's a 4 4 2 playing up in the back against a 4 3 3 okay brilliant let's take it one further and uh, you know it's a 4 3 3 that that like to uh press on the second pass Maybe not in the first pass, or maybe like the press in the final third, or release, um, or maybe they want to sit back in the whatever that ends up being. We need right. clarity on that as possible because then that helps us decide maybe what the variables are that we're going to be expecting potentially. Obviously, we never fully know or can fully predict what's going to happen, but we have a good idea and a good understanding of what could occur if we have that clarity around the depth right. of the topic, if you like. Um, so I'm always asking coaches and think, you know, I'm you know having conversation with coaches around right well what are you actually working on you can't just tell me you're working on playing out from the back because there's, there's a there's a hundred and one can of worms in there that's right and you, you, it's like going through a, a, a you know a field of mines and you don't know where it's going to pop up or where or what's going to happen next because you don't have any clear understanding of which direction you're actually going in if that makes sense it's ironic isn't it because you 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 would think like with a bigger topic you would learn more, but in fact, I think I think players make less progress when you're not as precise about what you want to accomplish. I think this is one of the key points that um, that Andrew Erickson makes in his book Peak. He's the sort of like dean of um, you know deliberate practice scientist, and he says like specificity of the goal, you know, re, uh, really narrow specific goal is the key to accelerate learning outcomes. And sometimes we think, oh, I want him to do more. I want him to learn more. I'm going to broaden the goal. We're going to try and, but that actually in the same way that giving five pieces of feedback actually slows you down. Ironically, we, we give more feedback because we want to accelerate. We want to tell kids one more, tell players one more thing to help them grow faster, but it actually often has the opposite effect, which is um, perverse. And I think it's the same with, with session design, right? We think, oh, I'll try to accomplish a little bit more, broaden the goal, and it actually slows down the rate of learning, I think. I think just on that, you know, it's crazy how ironic it is, but I think at the same time, I guess the question I'd ask you then, from your experience and your observations, why do you think it is that a lot of coaches lack um, lack that clarity or, or, or choose to maybe not be as specific? I mean, I've got my own opinions as to what that could be, um, but it'd be interesting maybe get your perspectives on that. Yeah, I mean, why would they? <laughs> I mean, I think that the, like coaches basically learn by playing and by... Um, by watching their coaches while they're playing. And then maybe they have a mentor with the club, but I, I think that, you know, part of the reason I wrote the book is because 
I think there's very little conversation, at least in this country, about just the, the fundamentals of teaching and, you know, how to design. And I, I mean, maybe I'll ask you the question, how did, how did, I think you have a really good sense for how to design an effective session. Where did you learn it from? Um, I think when I first got into coaching, I guess I was really fixated on the, the if you like, the technical detail. Required and and as time has gone on, I've kind of understood actually. Uh, do you know what? I'm talking through this, and I and I, I remember where that's probably probably come from. Um, so a couple of years into into my coaching journey, I, I did a goalkeeping qualification, and on that course, it was uh, very specific around the idea of the technical detail for a goalkeeper, and I guess it was almost a light. You extrapolated from that to sort of. Yeah, I mean, it just, it was just like, what well, if they're going into this much detail and it's the finest of minute bits of detail that are making the massive difference to the to the techniques, if you like, for the goalkeeper, why why don't we do this for everyone? <laughs> and I guess going down that line of thought almost took me to this point where actually every single inch counts. <laughs> now, I later kind of, you know, have evolved and I've understood that actually, yes, there is a technique, there is a way of doing it. But where I was in the early stages, I was very specific. Like I said, well, no, this is the technique I've learned, this technique I've been taught, this is a technique I know that works. So everyone I work with has to do it this way. Um, but obviously years, you know, as, as years have gone on and experience has been picked up and um, I always talk about this one particular time where I was working with, you know, six different players from different backgrounds and cultures and whatnot. And, the, the task was the same. They were all getting success. Mm. Only two of them were doing it in the way that I would have coached. Mm. And now that for me, I, I was almost fighting myself at one point because I said, right, I'm, I want, I'm at that stage where I want to, I want to develop as a coach. But before I can step in and coach, I need to know what's happening. So I guess I took yeah. a step back at that point and started to assess and just look at okay, what's happening look at the finer things that are happening. You know, it might be the position of the of the foot or the way the body is shaped or whatever the whatever the finer detail might be. And I started to look at it and I think, right, now I'm getting curious. Yeah. Getting success. So this isn't a technique I mess and necessarily have taught you, but why are you doing it that way? Hmm. How does it make you feel? Um, and I think that's the key part. I really started, I kind of got fixated on how does it make you feel and why, you know, if I understand how it makes you feel, then I can understand why you might be using it. Um, and I guess as time came, you know, those conversations are, I guess, getting deeper and deeper. And I started to understand, okay, there's a different technique for them because they actually got different, uh, not just technical makeup, but physical makeup. So where we yeah. have some smaller players, taller players, bigger players, slower players, faster, you know, you name all the differences that could occur. Um, so I kind of walked away from that one experience. And that was probably such a, a massive step for me in, in my development, where I walked away having gone in very tunnel vision and said this is one way of doing it and this is the only way i'm going to coach it actually after that session i walked away with five new ways of coaching from yeah. technique it's fascinating because i think what you're describing there in some ways is one of the hidden skills of coaching which is the ability to watch right which is we perceive to be a passive thing but if, if you want to describe like what makes one of the things that makes a great teacher and I think makes a great coach is simply the ability to see. And sometimes in, in workshops, I say, you know, like a coach's first skill is the ability to watch carefully and to understand what's happening in front of you. And I don't, I don't mean this like dismissively at all. Like it, 
if you read the cognitive science on looking, we presume that looking at things is something that happens automatically and we look at something and we understand it. But the fact is that the reality is totally different, that things can and do happen right in front of you, right before your eyes, and you simply never see it. The flip side of, and so, and so your sort of like careful observation of, hmm, that's interesting, because he's actually fairly successful but his footwork is different from what I thought it would be. And like, they're all doing it slightly different is an act of like very careful, specific observation. And, I, and that one, I think like observation is helped by specificity of the task, right? Because it narrows the number of things that I need to observe and look for. But it's also not something that happens automatically. And coaches are very rare. This is something that very rarely comes up for teachers or coaches. How do you watch carefully? In fact, if you're watching at a training session, like you almost feel guilty, like I'm supposed to be saying something. I'm supposed to be doing so. I should be setting up the, you know, setting up the next exercise. I should be, and, or I, you know, you, you might not feel like you're coding well or carefully if you're very, if you're silently just watching very carefully what's happening. But sort of the flip side of what you described as a training session that I saw a couple of weeks ago where the coach was talking, they're actually interesting. They were talking about building out of the back. Um, and he's talking about the role of the number six and uh, how the coach was rotating a couple of girls who played central midfield positions through the number six position and how he wanted them to like, to, um, to check away and then check back to the ball to sort of create space to receive the ball. And so I said, girls, you know, when, when we're built, each iteration through the row, I want to see the number six check, you know, um, check away, move the defender away, then move back into space to receive the ball. Then I just was watching and eight out of the 10 next girls who went never didn't make the motion that he described, right? They just stood passively and he never noticed it, right? He, it's not just that they weren't learning. They literally did not do the thing they asked them to do. Why does that happen? Because our because we're we're distracted and we're thinking about what's the next what's the next thing that what's what's the next variation I'm going to do in the drill and what's the next coaching point I'm going to make him um, uh, and who's looking good and who's going to play this weekend and all those things fill up our working memory and we forget to just watch very carefully to see are they doing the are they are they adding the movements that I asked them to do are they good at it what needs to be refined about it. It's not going to be perfect the first time. What you know? What do I need to add in the second round? And so I think you know, careful observation and the sort of focus, narrow focus that you're talking about are really powerful things and easily overlooked. Yeah, I, I definitely agree. And I think for me, what um, what really stands out is in in that moment where coaches are observing. I think sometimes they're observing, or rather, they're looking with the intent to observe the right things but maybe they don't, they don't always understand the timing of it. Um, so, you know, I, I like to use this concept, you know, that I'm not going to reinvent the wheel in any way, but I like to use the idea of green, the green light moments. And this is how I just refer to them. And it, it, it kind of works for me. We've got the green light on the traffic light. It tells us it's time to go. There's going to be something that we've obsessed, not just, not just the light itself, but there's things that are occurring around us which allow us to, you know, to understand this is why the green light is showing. I.e. the cars are stopped. There's a clear right. path for us to walk across. Um, now, at the same time, you've got the red light, which is basically don't go. 
Ready for a career in behavioral health? Earn your online degree at Herzing University. Choose from health and human services, psychology, or social work programs. Gain the skills to work, coordinate, and manage nonprofits. Secure a bachelor's in psychology to study mental health or advance your social work career through our online Masters of Social Work. Let us help you become a social change agent. Your future starts now at Herzing University. Text HEALTH to 85109. That's HEALTH to 85109. Or visit herzing.edu. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. But there's going to be somewhere in between that with the with the ambers. Now that amber, you, you've got an amber that's going from green into red or red into green. Now each of those will also have a different um, outlook, if you like. Um, and within that process, you've got to, you know that amber piece is right. It's possible, mm. but risky. Mm. Our, yeah. You know, is it is it a solid amber or is it a flashing amber? And I think you've got to kind of look at it from that perspective. And I, I use that analogy with, with, you know, with my players and, and, and the coaches I support to identify, right, okay, um, you want them to play out the back in this way. You want them to make a movement at this time. But can you tell me what the green light moment is for them to make that movement? Yeah. Now, if you can't tell me as the coach, and this is, you know, I guess where my previous question was coming from, where why do you think it is that coaches maybe uh, choose to lack clarity in, in their session design or the session topic, if you like. And my, my, my honest uh, you know, opinion on that is I don't think enough coaches now no. have, or, or I don't think there's uh, a lot of coaches now that have enough of a grasp of the technical understanding and the knowledge of the game whatever sport they're, they're working in. Now I can yeah. speak mainly on, on, you know, on football or soccer, but um, I, I see that from coaches that I've spoken to from different sports, I see a kind of, there's a quite a common thing there where you come back to the perception of what a coach is meant to look like and how coaching is meant to be uh, delivered. It's very much, I say you do, I'm going to bark instructions if you like. And yeah. that's the, that's the age old kind of a perception of what it should be. And, you know, I've certainly had situations where, you know, I'm quite laid back. I ask a lot of questions with my, with my players. I'm very um, interactive and I like to discuss things a lot with them. Um, I've, I don't often step in and tell them, stop, you need to do this instead. So it's not very directive in that respect at all. But I've had, you know, I've had, I've had times in the past where maybe parents or observers have said, well, when are you going to get in and coach? And I'm just looking at them like, I'm, I'm coaching. <laughs> I've been coaching. Um, but I think obviously that you know that's down to lack of education or understanding around you know the different ways in which coaching could could look because you know as people as people do they often compare it to their maybe their own experiences and what they perceive to be um, coaching. So you know I guess it'll be interesting maybe get your thoughts on that and uh, again the in the initial piece of obviously yeah. the green light moments and all those specific moments and how maybe the, the actual parents or so the coaches rather lack clarity on the understanding of the detail. Yeah. Which leads into that path, if you like. Yes, it's a really fascinating question. I'm going I'm to try not to meander going down too many bird walks and answering it. But I think it's really smart. 
the first chapter of the book is about perception and how it's really the core of decision making. And I think that's what you're describing, which is like, so there are two, there are two parts of technical knowledge. When you talk about like, you have to have technical knowledge to be able to coach something. And one is what to do. And so if we're, you know, like that's relatively easy, right? What, what should we look like when we're built, you know, when we're building out of the back, what do we look like when we're pressing? What does it look like to do a price turn? Like, you know, those are relatively easy things to teach. The cue or the, the second piece of knowledge is how do I know whether I'm supposed to do it? And how do I, you know, what, what do I look at to tell me that it's a red light or it's a green light? That they're, um, that they're pressing high or, or, you know, they're pressing the first pass or the second pass. How do I, how do I know that? Uh, and so, and I think that that's a level of knowledge that is much, it's not as clearly codified, not as many people know. And so uh, it's harder to teach. And when it's harder to teach, you're less likely to teach it. But I think it's, it's, the, it's the most important thing to teach. In other words, one of the things I sometimes talk about with coaches is um, sometimes coaches might stop and make a coaching point, which is like, would, they might ask a question because they don't want to be super directive. And the question might be, what should you do here? but maybe secretly the coach knows what he wants the players to do, or there are better options and lesser options. And sometimes I just suggest like changing that question. What should you do for the question? What do you see? Because what do you see is not rather than telling the player, here's the decision you should make. It's asking the player what they're looking at. And so like, let's, let's just say um, you're working with your defenders and the opposition is bringing the ball through the midfield and there's not enough pressure on the ball and your center back fails to drop off because he's not reading the fact that like, uh, you know, without pressure on the ball, I'm vulnerable. I'm assuming like, you know, I don't know enough about football to know what you know always, but I'm assuming like generally in America, this passes for <laughs> you would want to, you would want to drop off if there's no pressure on the ball. Yeah. And so I could say, you know, like pause. Yes. There's no pressure on the ball. What should you do? I need to drop coach. Okay. But what if I said, yes, pause, what do you see? Now there could be two sets of one answer could be, there's no pressure on the ball coach. And then I say, so, okay, there's no pressure on the ball. What do we do? But the other thing you could say is nobody, you know, like we're disorganized in the midfield. Yeah. And that tells me that the player's not look, doesn't know what to look for. Yeah. And is not, yeah. it's not even looking at, never mind, like, is it green or is it red? But they don't even know where the traffic light is. Yeah. And so the first thing I have to do is teach the player what to look for. But the, but the hidden part of that, of that sequence is I, I have to know as a coach that the cue for whether to be tight or to be tight or loose as a defender is pressure on the ball in the midfield. And that is much, I just think that knowledge is, is much less widely known. And then there's a third tier to that is like, and how, and where, and when does it become amber? And when is it red? And when, it, you know, like that, that's even a much yeah. more subtle, but, but that, is, that is what separates to me a great player from a lesser player is the is the the ability to read on their own. You know what we want to do when we're coaching them is to cause them to read the cue on their own, as opposed course, to be able to make the right decision when we tell them what the cue is. hundred percent. I totally, I totally understand. I guess it's interesting hearing the question that you're asking there. What did you see? Um, it kind of really resonates with me because you know I maybe don't ask specifically what did you see. I have I have asked that question before, <clears> but I often say. Um, you know, maybe what are you paying attention to right now? What's important? What should, what should you look at yeah. is another version of that question. 
yeah, what should yeah. you look at? Or um, even, right, if something was to change you mm. and having it, you know, what, what, better yet, what would, what would have to change you to have an impact on your decision? Um, so you yeah. have a decision as an example, not to, not to press, or you've made a decision to drop, right? What would need to change here that would affect your decision-making in that process? Um, that's probably one, I guess another one I'm really, uh, I'm really, uh, passionate about kind of getting to as well is not just what did you see or what the, what is the visual aspect of it, but actually how did that moment make you feel? Hmm. That's interesting. How did that moment make you feel? So I'll give you an example, you know, you know, Doug, you've got, you, you know, me and you, we're 10 yards apart, 15 yards apart. Um, I've got a ball and you've got a ball. Or we've got one ball between us and I'm playing, we're just playing back and forth. Now, no pressure, nothing, nothing at all. Now, if I, whether we have players or additional, uh, you know, people that we can use or not, I might say, right, Doug, every time you get that ball, I want you to imagine that there's uh, a couple players in front of you. Um, but then on the next repetition, I want, I want you to imagine there's a couple players maybe either side of you. And, you know, just kind of keep mixing it up and you, you can play around with whatever that looks like. But I want you to visualise those people there um but i want you to pay attention to how it makes you feel and what decision you're making off the back of where those people are so you maybe i guess indirectly i'm taking your attention to right what am i actually having to focus on here <clears throat> so because i know the player is over here and there's a player over here now all of a sudden i know that the only way i can really get out comfortably is actually through here <clears throat> So therefore, I want to make sure my first touch takes me through here, as opposed to either way here, or you know whatever that might end up looking like. Um, and then I say to them, as an example, right? I want you to imagine they've gone from being maybe uh, five yards apart to now they're two yards apart. How does that make you feel now? What kind of touch are you going to take now? What kind of you know where's the space that you're going to try and penetrate now? Are you going to maybe hold on to it and? when that ball comes into you, hold on to it. So maybe you attract one of them to create a space in there somewhere or whatever that might be. And I think that for me is a, is a really a key question that I'm quite passionate about asking because I feel like it, it's definitely opens up a different, it's just a whole different maze, if you like, uh, for us to kind of embark upon. It's interesting because it took me a while when you were, when you're describing that to understand what you meant by how do you feel, which is basically, um, what are you thinking? It went, what are you thinking about and what sorts of, I mean, it's an, it is another version of like, what, what are you paying attention to and what are your potential reactions? And maybe there's like an, almost like an emotional piece to it. Like I'm nervous or I'm, I'm psyched or, um, but it strikes me that it might be worth it in some situations to explain to students, like to explain to players when I, I'm going to ask you, how does that make you feel? And these are the types of things I mean when I ask you, how does it make you that? Is, is, is happy a good answer or, you know, um, so well, here's, here are the things that I want you to be thinking about and here's why I'm asking it so that they, um, cause it's a very, it's an, it's a great question and an unusual question. And I bet some students intuitive, some students, I keep saying students, some athletes instantly understand what you mean by it. And some of them possibly like me are like a little bit can like confused at first and don't exactly know what, mm what you mean by that question. So just being clear about like, yeah, when I ask you, because a part of the, I think questioning is one of the most powerful tools of a coach, right? It, asking players questions. But one of the things that strikes me about questions 
when they're asked is, I don't, in a lot of training sessions, is the culture of answering is not very good. So a coach asks a question and the same two or three highly verbal players call out the first thing off the top, they can think of off the top of their head right away. And 15 of the other players never answer a question. And we never really like think deeply about something because someone's always shouting out like the first thing they can think of because they're trying to like please the coach. And so one of the first things I think you have to do to build a good questioning environment is explain to players how you want them to answer. So this, yeah. to me, this is a beautiful video in the book of this coach, James Beeston, doing this where he says, boys, during the session tonight, uh, I'm going to be asking a lot of questions because the game asks questions of you and I want you to be ready. So when I ask you a question, if you think you have an answer, raise your hand. And if you don't think you have an answer, don't shout out. But know that I might call on you whether or not, whether you raise your hand or not, because the game always asks you to be prepared. So I'll always ask you to be prepared. And so if I call on you, do your best. If you don't know the answer, we'll help you. We're your teammates, right? So then suddenly players know how to play the game, how to, pl how to play the game of answering questions. And they're like, and now he can just like, yeah. Fire question, and now so what he can do is basically build an environment where everyone is everyone is answering the question in their head because they might be called on at any moment, and they're answering rigorously because he can slow them down if he wants to. And so I, I just think that a common thing that teachers and coaches overlook is explaining to to ask to players or students how we want them to participate in their role of answering. And, if we yeah. kind of like overlook that mundane stuff, then even the best question in the world, you know, when two or three kids shout out the first answer off the top of their head is not going to be that good. So I love the question of like, how does it make you feel? And I wonder if, if like just being clear about here's, here's yeah. how I want you to think about answering it would actually help more students know how, more athletes know how to be successful in answering it. I think it's a great point. And I think, uh, you know, maybe to provide a bit more context, I think one of the things I do tend to do now and having listened to what you've just said there and I think back and I say, I do say to players because right, it's not really a, um, a well-received thing always to from, from the get-go. Because I think I don't know, I don't know about what the data says or the research says, but I think uh, from my experiences we, as humans, we generally we hear a question, especially in in, a, in maybe a coaching context. Uh, we hear a question being asked of us, and, and we automatically assume it's a negative thing that we're, we're, being, we're being questioned on. Yeah. Um, so I think. The thing that has maybe definitely helped me is I've been very clear with the players and athletes that I work with that, right, I'm not really in the business of telling you what to do, but I am in the business of stretching you, making you feel uncomfortable. But I won't, I'll take you outside your comfort zone to the point where I still believe you could, you've got the answers. Um, now, it may feel uncomfortable. You may at times thinking, what the hell is he talking about? Why is he asking me this? But I want you to really pay attention to the question I'm asking you. And in, in order to, I guess, help you in that process, one thing I need you guys to do as individuals is to really pay attention to as much of what's going around you as possible. Focus on those green light moments. Why are they green? What's making them green at that moment? And if they haven't been green, can you identify when they've gone from maybe green to amber or amber to red? And that's all I'm interested in. Yeah. All of my questions will be based around those things there. Now, I think that's like just that little speech that you just gave, which is like, here are the questions I'm going to ask. Here's why I'm going to ask them. Here's what to be paying attention to so you can answer them. And maybe implicitly, and I'm asking them because I respect you. And so when I ask you a question, it's not because I think you've done something wrong. It's because I sometimes I'll ask you a question because I think you've done something great. Like, so yeah. 
because because like once you get sort of like nervous and you're on the spot then you don't really engage intellectually the way you want i think i think that's a great speech and i i think many coaches presume that all the things that you just described are understood by their players but i think it just never hurts to make it explicit and say like here so here's how here's how my questions are going to work in this training session and then one tiny thing I was, I was thinking about when you're describing that, because I think you were great about saying like, I want you to be, I want you to be paying attention to as much as you can, basically. So you can answer questions about like, what did you see? And was it Amber? Was it red? Mm-hmm. One of the things I think coaches often know, you know, given how important perception is, visual perception is to making decisions. I, w- I went to a, like a license, went to observe a license course in this year as, you know, like a coaching license course, a very high level coaching license course. And the coach, they were trying to, you know, they were talking about sort of trying to create um, unbalancing the defense and trying to create numerical advantage in different spaces in the field. And the, it was like an academy team for a professional team and the boys played for five or 10 minutes and, he, and the coach called him and said, great boys, how we do there? What, you know, and he was asking because they, they had struggled to create numerical advantages. It was impossible for them really to analyze how they did because they weren't really looking at the problem. So he was asking them all to remember what what did he mean by there, right? It was five minutes of play in which there were 30 different interactions remembered subjectively from different perspectives. One of the things that you need to be able to solve a problem is to look at the problem. And so um, if you if you pause if you pause them when they can still look at the like if you pause them and say pause, like if you can still look at the problem, what do you notice about what's happening around you? Where's the, where's the second defender? Where's the first defender? Where's the space, right? Where you're, you know, then we can start to have a conversation that's about analyzing visual cues. Is it red? Is it is it, is it amber or is it red right now? How do you know, right? Um, and it's also players are just more accountable, right? If I say that was a really risky pass, uh, you know, let's say kid makes a pass, gets, sneaks the ball through when he really has no reason to. And, and I say, that was a really risky pass. Uh, did you have other options? And he says, no, it wasn't risky, it was fine, right? Like if we're not actually looking at the situation, it's really easy to hide behind the potential of a different interpretation. I was in position, I was in space. He could have passed it to me. Right? When actually, if I, can, if I can have you look at it, you can see like, how, can he get you the ball right now? Yeah, or I, yeah. Can, I can ask the other player and be like, Juan, can you get him the ball right now? No, I cannot. There's something really key in there, though, Doug. Um, it's, it's, it's funny because I'm, I'm, I'm listening to you speak and I'm thinking, right, some of this really resonates with me because it's stuff that I've kind of uh, maybe tried to implement in the past. And is it, I'll give you an example. So that piece around, you know, you've got 30 different perspectives of the same context. Yeah. So... You know, if I talk about maybe like my team talks as an example with my players, um, I often let the players lead them. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm very, I'm, I'm a very firm believer that if I set the right task or, the, or ask the right questions, and they'll come up with the right answers. Uh, and it's not giving them the answer or leading them to it, but just asking the right question and getting them to think about some of the right things, hopefully. Um, and in that process, I'll give you an example, maybe how my halftime team talk might look. So I'll have watched maybe the first half and I've looked at a few notes and I've made a few notes around maybe the key things I want to kind of cover uh, both in possession, out possession or any other little key individual bits that might occur. Um, and what I would do is I'd bring the players in, I'd have them in their units. You might have the forwards, the midfielders, the defenders, maybe with the goalkeeper. And I'd just ask them, you know, okay, in possession, out of possession, 
come up with a couple points. What have you got? But I'll, obviously, I'll brief them before they go out in, in the initial game. And obviously, as time comes on, you come back to your piece around routines and strategies. That it's already there. The routine is we, every time we go out, you guys are going to have to deliver the halftime team talk. You guys are doing the review. I'm just going to oversee it and just uh, maybe touch on some things where I might feel like we, we need to go in a bit more detail, if you like. Now, for me, straight away, um, doing that, I've understood they have they have got uh, you know a perception of the situation. They can look at what's going on, but because they have now looked at it from different perspectives, we've got the we've got the defenders, we've got the midfielders, we've got the forwards. They might all come up with the same thing, but how it's perceived from their angle of the pitch or their area of the pitch, completely different. So what I find myself doing is I've got my points here. Right, okay, they, they've touched this. They've talked on this one, so I don't really have to talk about this. But I might just delve a little bit deeper into what they're saying, just to understand that they've understood, or yeah. they, they've understood in the way that maybe I would have perceived from uh, the situation. And you know, as we're going through that stage, we start to get to a point where actually the players do the players are paying they're paying attention to the right things. So um, you might say something like, "When you say we need to we need to press higher, what do you mean exactly?" Or, or like, "When you say that our line of engagement needs to be higher, what do you mean by that exactly?" Exactly, exactly. How high? Yeah. They might say, you know, uh, we need to we need to support each other a bit a, a bit a bit more carefully, or support whatever that might look. In. But from a defensive perspective, or it's still we're still looking at in possession, but from the from the from the perspective of the defenders when in possession, they might have a different underlying mm-hmm. message to what it might mean if the midfielder is saying, "Oh, we need to support each other a bit more." One, you know, uh, you know, and I think that bit is the key bit because again. This is coming back to the specificity and the clarity piece. We've got that overarching thing. Yeah, we want to support each other a bit more, actually. But what does that actually look like for each of you? Hmm. Well, over here, this is what we what we is saying. This is what we're seeing. Right. This is what we're seeing over here, and we want to kind of marry all those things up um, to the point where, in an ideal world, I've got this list of maybe three or four or five things, and actually, I've walked away from that team talk saying, "Well done." That's yeah. I don't have to add another bit to it, but the key bit is is not just identifying maybe what might need to be adapted on or amended, if you like. But actually, now that you've identified that, I want you to tell me how we're going to do it. Yeah, um, I think that's fascinating. So I, I think one of the other things I, I tried to write about in the book was just different types of questions because I, I think questions are great things. Coaches believe in questions, but different questions accomplish different things. And so like, I, I think one of the things that coaches maybe sometimes romanticize is like um, discover, like discovery learning, like discovering a solution. And I think that's often great, but oftentimes we actually know what the solution is. And the harder questions are like, how do we do it? Yeah. <laughs> like, how, do, how are we going to beat them? We're going to have to play wide. Like, okay, great. That's one possible insight, but a more if we know that we need to play wide, an application question, which is like, and how will we do it with them? You know, with them playing, um, you know, I, 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 uh, they're playing a three-five-two, right? Like, how do we how do we have to adapt yeah. to be able to play wide here? And so, like, the, in, in my mind, that's almost like a different kind of question. One is to sort of like infer the solution and one is well we know what you know because oftentimes as a team we sort of have a tactical approach or a game model and the quite the really relevant questions are 
we know what we want to do, how are we going to do it given the context and the challenges that the opposition is, is facing or the challenges of today, you know, it's windy, how are we going to do it? <laughs> or, uh, you know, or the opposition, they're fa faster than we thought, how are, we going to, how are we going to do it? And so I think those application questions are often like the most yeah. challenging. Um, and so just thinking like one of the things I was thinking about when I was writing the book was different types of questions and that you would ask and why you would ask them. There ended up being five categories of them, but two of them, like one of them was discovery questions and one was application questions. Um, Cause I found that sometimes coaches would just conf conflate the idea of que asking questions with discovering solutions. Mm. And sometimes there's actually a little bit more to it than that. No, definitely. I think it's, just, it's spot on. And I think one thing I'm very, very conscious of is never ever asking a closed question. I absolutely avoid it at all costs. Yeah. Even as you know, simple as, are you feeling all right today? <laughs> I'm gonna ask you that. Hold on, how are you feeling today? Yeah. Always leave me something to kind of bite at, um, and, and build on it. You know, that, that closed question, you kind of, and I think that from a closed question, do you mean a yes or no question, or do you mean yeah, a question yeah. with a with a with a right answer? Um, both. Both. Um, yeah, like I said if I go back to the experience I talked about before where they had different ways of skinning that cat if you like <clears throat> that showed me that okay that I'm not I don't need to be looking for a right answer I just need to be looking for an answer that works for that person and it might be right but it's only right when it's a green light moment if you, if, if you get what I mean um, you know when, it, when it's an amber they might that answer might be different and depending on what type of amber it is, again, that answer might again be different. Is it a solid amber again? Is it the amber going from red into green where, you know, we've got stationary vehicles getting ready to go? Or is it the, is it the green going into the red where we, we're, we're, we're in full throttle, full speed, and now we're looking to make a harsh break? Um, so I think those bits are key. And I think having those understandings and the question is always, right, this is what you would like it to be this is what would need to occur for it to be um, effective and work in the way that you want it to be. But if I just change this piece here, how does that affect you? And if I change that piece there, how does that affect you? Now, if I change both those things at the same time, how does that then affect you rather than in isolation? I think having a, a good, clear understanding of those variables, I think is a very important piece for me around how to maybe support um, not just athletes, but even in the classroom setting, you know, uh, the students, how do we get to that point where actually, you know, sport is the only, the only definitive thing about a game of, you know, football or any invasion game is actually it's me versus you and we're trying to win by putting the ball in your net or by taking the flag and putting it in our, in our, in our territory or however you wish. Um, so I think that, that piece is really key. Um, you know, just to kind of, you know, as we look to wind down now, you know, we've had some fascinating uh, points there, Doug, and uh, I'm sure we can probably sit here for hours and go uh, go into a lot more depth, but... Definitely enjoying it. I would love to. <laughs> <laughs> um, I guess, you know, to kind of uh, wrap up, then, you know, what would you say are some of the key messages that coaches can learn from teachers? That's a great question. Um I think one of the key, one, maybe one of the most important message is, um, is that the definition of, of, the best definition of teaching I've ever heard actually came from a coach, uh, the great American basketball coach, John Wooden, who interestingly, 
before he became sort of the most successful collegiate basketball coach of the 20th century was an English teacher. And someone asked him once, you know, how we define coaching and teaching. And he said, it's understanding the difference between I taught it and they learned it. Mm. And I think there are a couple, it's a, it's a really, it's a profound statement. To me, that's a description of what teaching is, which is, I know that we spent two hours talking about building out of the back against, you know, a high pressing 442. But that doesn't, you know, if we're talking about challenging things, it doesn't mean players will have mastered it. Um, and so, first of all, there's this like just calm steadiness and his presumption that like, no matter how well I teach it, lack of understanding will always emerge. <laughs> but that's, it's just the nature, it's the nature of humans and it's the name of, and if, if, if people aren't misunderstanding and struggling to learn the things I'm teaching, they're not hard enough. I'm not challenging them enough. They're not growing enough. And so one is I have to, as a teacher, I have to know that understanding will break down and I have to be prepared for it. Because if I'm not prepared for it, then what I do is I blame athletes. And I say, guys, we talked about pressing all week and now we're, we're not, we're, you know, like we're not pressing. And then, I, and then I attribute it to like lack of motivation or like Ill, Ill, Ill discipline or, you know, like it's about them as opposed to like, well, actually, so what, why are we, is this happening? Um, but if I presume that it'll happen and I actually think through in advance things like, what do I think will, why might we struggle? with our pressing and what, what should I be looking for to tell me that we're confused about how we want to press as a team. Then I can react with like, with my teaching. And so I think, I think one of the things that, that teachers struggle with constantly is understand is just, is this task of checking for understanding, which is being disciplined about observing for and understanding the gaps between what I taught and what players are able to do and not blaming them for it and seeing that as just like, that is the fundamental challenge of teaching. They will inevitably uh, occur. And we should actually love that because that's when we're learning most when we're like, wow, I thought I was so clear about that. And, and, and we're not, and I, th I thought we had that down and we don't. I think interesting, uh, I can see you want to ask questions, I'll stop there. But, no, I've yeah, got I think one really key one for you there. That, yeah. Should they be equal teachers then? Sorry, say again. Should they actually be cool teachers then? Or can they only, <laughs> can they only be awarded that title once the message has been understood? Uh, um, that's a great, <laughs> it's a great question. You know, are we, are, are we teachers if we're not teaching? I mean, I think that, I think for the most, you know, in most lessons, in most sessions, it's a mix, right? Like there are things that get understood and there are things that don't get understood. And mm. to go back to just the key nature of observation, one of the most important jobs as a coach is to then go back and unpack, yeah. figure out what got understood, what got mastered, what didn't, because it will always be, you know, a, a, a <laughs> stew. That's a combination of, of all those things, or some players will have understood it and some players won't, or they'll understand parts of it, but not all. And by the way, and if you ask them, do you understand? They will of course say, yeah, I understand because they understand all the things that they understand and they don't know the things they don't understand. So they can't, I can't tell you that they don't understand them. So, you know, I just, that is the core challenge of teaching yeah. and it's the core challenge of coaching too. No, definitely. And that's a question I'd never ask. I think the question I'll, I've learned to ask now is not, do you understand is right. Can I have a show of hands of who's, who here is confident enough to explain it back to me? <laughs> um, and yeah. then you've got some confused faces and it's almost like, well, I think I can. Yeah. 
as opposed to yeah 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 we understand because you you know we all know why they say that is because they just want to get on and carry on with the activity right right, right. um the answer, the, the answer to the everybody get which we ask all the time in training sessions right so everybody get it the answer is invariably yes then if you look at the underlying underlying reason why do we ask that question is it for them or for me well, i think it's interesting because i think we ask that question because we recognize that we've just talked about a lot of things and we really should check to make sure everyone understands it but we're busy or we don't really know how to go about doing it or we're distracted or there's a lot of other things to get done and so we're basically saying i should really check for understanding right now and then we're skipping it and <laughs> and not doing it and the consequences of that are usually um significant awesome well doug lately there's been some fascinating points made in this conversation i, I, I honestly would love to be able to spend another f- a few hours with you on this <laughs> i think we could really um take a few hours and maybe more you know before we get to really really just getting below the surface if you like um but Doug you know you have got a book um that's just recently come out I don't know if you want to just want to share a bit of information around that before we kind of uh, wrap up sure yeah it's um it's right here it's called the the coach's guide let me get that it's the coach's guide to teaching um it's available on both sides of the pond uh and it's just my effort to try and think about teaching through a coaching lens um and uh, yeah, and I hope it's useful. I hope it's useful. It was uh, it was a five year challenge to write it. So awesome. And Doug, you know, just uh, if, if anyone's got any questions off the back of this conversation we had, or they maybe wanted to find out a little bit more about what you do in the, I guess the the work that you've done already, is there somewhere they can get in touch with you or, or access to get get that information? Yeah, these I'm on Twitter. Uh, it's uh, Doug underscore Lamov, L-E-M-O-V. Uh, and so that's probably the easiest place to find me in the, in the social media universe. Awesome. Doug, I've just got one final question for you now. Um, you know, just by being here, having this conversation with me, you know, you've made yourself part of the Coaches Network. I'm just curious to know from your perspective now, you know, if there was one message that you'd want to leave with everyone in the community, what would that be? Mostly it'd be just a message of gratitude and thanks. Uh, you know, in addition to someone who loves teaching and studying coaches. Um, we started off talking before we started taping. I have three kids and they're all athletes. And, you know, there's nothing, nothing greater than watching your child um, grow and develop under, you know, someone who helps them to understand the path to becoming who they want to be. And I just think it's a great thing. So, uh, so, you know, one of the challenging things about teaching and coaching is you'll never get it right. And so, uh, you know, it's easy to sort of uh, you know, feel frustration afterwards and wonder whether it's worth it. And I just want to say, and it's worth it. And thank you to all, to you and to all the coaches out there for everything you do on behalf of young people. Awesome. Look, Doug, look, thank you for being with me today. I really appreciate it. I uh, really enjoyed it. Thanks for having me on. Awesome. Well, there you have it, guys. Another episode of the Coaches Network podcast, where our aim is to bring the world of athlete, talent, and personal development together to just one platform. And you can help us with that mission right now by sharing this episode or any of your favorite episodes with everyone that you can think of you can tag us in those mentions as well on instagram at the coaches network or on twitter at the coaches net we look forward to hearing from you let us know what you thought about today's episode and until next time guys take care say goodbye to your credit card rewards greedy corporate mega stores led by walmart and target are pushing for a law in congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets the durbin marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it if you love your credit card rewards tell your lawmakers hands off 
my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durban Marshall credit card bill. Save big on brunch for mom, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson natural boneless chicken breasts for $2.49 a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.